them because they did not repent, even though they witnessed his ministry firsthand. Woe to you, Chorazin, that's a city. Woe to you, Bethsaida, that's another city. If the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for them on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So what Jesus is doing is, here's this map. You can see where these three cities are. They're all real close to each other. And most of what Jesus did in chapters 8 and 9, if you can remember, he performed a ton of miracles. Chapters 5 through 7 is a Sermon on the Mount. It's this great explanation of what he's come to do. Most of that stuff happened around this area. Those cities, you see them up at the top, Chorazin, however you say it, Capernaum, Bethsaida. They're all within a couple of miles of each other. And what Jesus is saying is y'all all had an opportunity to hear me and to see what I'm doing, and y'all didn't repent. He's speaking in generalities. Of course, there were people in each city who did repent and did choose to follow him. But in general, he's saying, y'all didn't respond positively to my message. And he compares them to three Old Testament cities, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, which were all terrible. Tyre and Sidon were uh, enemies of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Sodom, if you remember that story, Sodom and Gomorrah is kind of this proverbial picture of wickedness and godlessness. And he's saying those three Old Testament Wicked cities are going to be better off at, on the day of judgment. If you read in Revelation, I think it's 20, 19 or 20, there's a picture of this great white throne of judgment. It says everyone who's ever lived is going to stand before this throne. And if your name's written in the book of life, you kind of move on to life. If your name's not written in the book of life, you go to this lake of burning fire, which won't, don't do that. So those are your two options. And what he's saying is... It's going to be better for these Old Testament cities than for you. Full of Jews, you have the law, all of these things. And so the question is, well, why? How can it be better for these guys? These were wicked cities. These were enemies of God's people. We all know what went on. And so, like, how can you say it's better for them? We're better people than they are. And the, the answer is because they didn't respond to Jesus when he was in their midst. There's a biblical principle. You're judged based on the light that you've been given. Uh, with light being revelation or truth, if you like that word better. The amount of revelation, the amount of truth, the amount of light that you have been given, that is what you will be judged based on. In these Old Testament cities, they had less light. They were before the time of Jesus. Jesus or the disciples never ministered personally in those cities. They didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't see Jesus um, healing people, delivering people from demonic bondage. They didn't see a paralyzed man get up. He didn't feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch in those cities. And so what Jesus is saying is, because you guys have received more light, you're going to be judged more harshly, for lack of a better word. You have a higher degree of responsibility. This is Luke 12. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. So you got that. You know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it. That's many blows. I don't know what many blows are, but this is just a parable. But he who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. There you go. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You still screw up. Few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more, much will be asked. So again, you see that principle. We're judged based on light. We're not going to get into many blows and few blows and what that is. It's a parable. And so you don't want to press the details. What we want to see is the truth underneath it, which is 
people will be judged based on the amount of light or the revelation that they have. Some of you in this room may feel this way, but one of the common objections you'll hear to the Christian faith is it's too exclusive. If Jesus is the only way, and he is, we'll read that in a second, um, then what about all the people who have lived and are living who never hear the name of Jesus? You know, they're born in some culture where Islam is the dominant religion. They never hear the gospel. How can God then send them into this lake of burning fire forever when they didn't have an opportunity to respond to the message? And what this passage teaches, what we read from Jesus in Luke and in Matthew is it, they're not judged the same way that we are. Most of you have at least one Bible in your house. You probably have more. You can download it for free. Uh, you've got, there's at least 400 churches in Cobb County. Take your pick. There's a flavor for everybody. You've got multiple Christian TV networks with varying degrees of quality programming that you can watch. Like, it's there. You've got plenty of light. And I've got plenty. I've got no excuses. And you've got no excuses. The revelation, it's here for us. We've been given much. These people who, and so we're going to be judged accordingly. People who haven't been given the same degree of revelation for whatever reason, because of geography, because of the circumstances of their birth, because they died young, because they never, whatever reason, people who haven't been given that same degree of revelation aren't going to be judged the same way that we are. God doesn't judge people based on what they don't know, but based on what they do know. Not based on what they haven't heard, but based on what they have heard. God is just. He does things that are just. It would be unjust, just like for you as parents. You would not hold your children responsible for reading your mind. If you're good, you don't do that. Sometimes you may be close, but in general, you don't do that. You don't hold your kids responsible for things that you never communicated to them. God's the same way. It doesn't, I don't know how that works in this. I don't know how it works, ultimately. It's all, at that point, speculative. It's hypothetical, theoretical. And so we're not going to get into that. All I know is biblically what you see is this principle, judged based on the light that you have been given. And so if that's an issue for you, if that's a deal breaker for you when you think of, um, when you you think about uh, Christianity, I can't say yes because of all of these people who are never going to hear. Let me put your mind at ease. One, you have heard, and so there's responsibility for you personally. And two, God loves everybody more than any of us love anybody. He's more invested in salvation than we are. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he doesn't desire anyone to perish. And so he's, he's going he's to take care of those people who've not heard the gospel. Verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Here's the exclusivity piece about Jesus. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. So there's that idea of Jesus is the only way. It says the only people who know God are people who Jesus has revealed the Father to. And so if the question becomes, well, if God is so interested, so invested in salvation, well, how come there's so many people who reject? And this, you see that peace playing here. Who has truth been revealed to, and who has it been hidden from? And your response to that may be, that's not fair. If God's deciding who is revealed to and who it's hidden from, then how can he then hold people responsible? If he's closing their eyes, how can he then judge them? Because he's the one that closed their eyes. Not exactly what's going on. This is Ezekiel 18. 
For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. And there's this idea of repent. That's responsibility on our part. What he's looking for are hearts. Uh, Another biblical principle is God cooperates with our hearts. God does not override our hearts. He cooperates with our hearts. We don't have time to get into all of this, so I'm just going to give you the bullet point. You can go back and read this. It's Exodus 9, 10, and 11. Moses has been commissioned by God to deliver the Jews out of slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh is a ruler of Egypt, and he won't, let, he, he won't listen. Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so there's this series of plagues that God visits upon Egypt with the idea of saying, Pharaoh, see, he's, this is the real deal. Like, you're dealing with God. This is serious business. And Pharaoh continues to resist. Jesse's got this. So here they are, just kind of walking through. The first plague is blood. He turns the Nile River into blood. And this is a quote. Pharaoh's heart became hard. He did not take even this to heart. The next plague is frogs. Frogs infest Egypt. Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen. The next is the plague of gnats, otherwise known as living in South Georgia. Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. Flies infest the land. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Livestock, Pharaoh's heart was unyielding. So in these first five plagues, it's Pharaoh hardening his own heart. He's refusing. God is saying, look, what else can I do? I'm showing you these signs. You're then begging Moses to ask me, God, to relent. I do every time, and you harden your heart. Pharaoh goes to Moses and says, please tell God to stop. And Moses prays. God stops the plague. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart towards the Lord. I don't know how much time there's, I don't know what the time span is. It's not, 20, it's not five 24-hour days. So over the course of time, this happens. It's compressed, but it's not a week. Then the next five boils, which is awful. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see a difference. Pharaoh doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Hail, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Locusts, God hardened his heart. Darkness, God hardened his heart. The plague of the firstborn. God hardened his heart. What you see is over time, God cooperates with your heart. And so for Pharaoh, his heart, he chooses to ignore these five miraculous signs that Moses performs. He refuses to obey God's command to him to let these Israelites go. And so over time, what God says is, okay, if that's the way you want it, then that's what we're going to do. And God begins to cooperate with Pharaoh. He begins to harden Pharaoh's heart as well. Romans 1 talks about this. It talks about God giving us over to our sin. At some point, God does that. It's not a one-to-one thing. It doesn't mean if if you ignore the Holy Spirit or you resist God today, you're going to wake up tomorrow with boils all over your body. It's not a one-to-one race correspondence there. It's, It's over time. If we resist God, if we ignore His leadings in our life, we're hardening our heart. And at some point, He says, okay, if that's the way you want to go, then, then I'm going to let you. And I'm going to harden your heart as well. Ultimately, it's the, the point is repentance. And if we won't respond to his kindness initially, then he, I think the hope is that we'll respond to judgment. These of, of reaping what we're sowing with our own sinfulness. And so again, this principle is God cooperates with our heart. And so when we're talking about who its truth is revealed to and who it's hidden from, it's, well, who wants to see it? If you want to see truth, you're going to. And if you don't, you won't. That's why two of us can sit in the same room and 
one of us can say, man, that's God is speaking and he's working my life. And the other's like, dude, when is lunch? But it's, it's a heart issue as much as anything else. Maybe some of it has to do with the speaker, but a lot of it, it's, it's heart. It's heart for us. Am I open to what God wants to say to me? Yes or no? Very, 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 very dangerous to harden your heart to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not, this is not a fear thing. It's not, I'm not trying to put you on edge. I'm just saying, over time, if you consistently resist the leadings of the Spirit in your life, you're hardening your heart, and at some point, God is going to cooperate. He's going to let you do that, and he's actually going to contribute to that hardening as well. And that's not where you want to be. We want to be people who are sensitive to how he's leading us. We want to be people who are open to truth, who say, I I want to be someone who has truth revealed to him, not someone who has truth hidden. And the only difference between those two is the condition of my heart. Jesus talks about the wise and learned on one hand and children on the other. And he lifts up children and says, this is what you need to be like. In the Gospels, when children are lifted up as examples, it's not because children are sweet and cute or because they're innocent. They're not. It's because children recognize their need for other people. Children aren't afraid to ask for help. Any of you who've been around kids know they are not afraid to ask over and over and over again, not just for things they need, but for things they want. Wise and learned, those are people who do things on their own. We don't want to be in this camp. We want to be in this camp. We want to be like children who recognize our need for a Savior. That's why during Lent we're praying for people who are far from Jesus. The thing we're praying is, God, make them hungry. You don't have to convince a hungry man to eat. And so what we want to pray is, God, these people who are distant from you, these people who have hard hearts, God, make them hungry, make them thirsty. Stir that in them. So they recognize their need for a Savior. So they can begin to see the truth of the gospel and your love for them and forgiveness is possible and all of those pieces. That all begins with a heart that's willing, that's open to truth. Verse 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is easy. Is light. So a yoke is this. Here's a picture. This is a yoke. You put it on oxen or donkeys and it lets them work together. You can do one, you can have a single yoke, but this is kind of the picture in the Bible. Oftentimes, if you read through the Bible, the word yoke is used metaphorically for teaching or uh, instruction about life. And so what Jesus is saying, it kind of reminds me of the beginning when he says, before he sends out the 12, he says, this crowd, they look like sheep. They're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And now he's saying, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. To me, those are kind of the same. People who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and people who are weary and burdened. Those pieces kind of are heavy laden. Those kind of fit together for me. In the first instance, his response is, let's send people out. Let's teach them, what's, teach them and show them what life is like in the kingdom. And in this response, he's saying, y'all come to me in this this." My teaching, my instruction on life, it's, it's, it's easy. That's well-fitting is a good word for that. It fits on you well. It's not going to rub you wrong at all. And it's light. It's not a burden for you to carry. And he's contrasting that um, with the teaching of the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 4, he says, The Pharisees tie up heavy loads and put them on people's backs, and they don't lift a finger to help. Their yoke is heavy. Their yoke is burdensome. Their, people are suffocating under the yoke of the religious system of the day, of the weight of the Pharisees' teaching. They can't, that's why they're weary and that's why they're burdened. It's because the Pharisees have got 613 laws in the Old Testament 
plus all of the laws that they've added to that. And they say, here, you've got to memorize these and do them. And regular people can't do it. And so what Jesus says into that situation is, you can quit doing that and you can do this. You can come to me and my yoke, my teaching, my instruction on life, it is life. It's salvation. It's rest. So that's what's going on globally uh, here in these last few verses. Personally, what does this look like in our life? A couple of things. That first section, we're judged based on the light that we have. I would say for us, again, if, if you live here and you do because you're sitting in the room, you've been given much by any conceivable standard. God has given you a massive amount. He's given you revelation. He's given you gifts. He's given you resources. He's given you time. He's given you relationships. He's given you opportunities. And at some point, all of us are going to stand before this throne, and he's going to say, what would you do with it? It's the parable of the talents. Sir, master goes away. He's got three servants. You get one. You get two. You get five. He comes back several months later and says, what would you all do with it? The, guy who, the, the girl with five says, hey, I got five more. The girl with two says, hey, I got two more. And to both of them, he says, great. He gives them the same reward. Come and enter your master's happiness. The guy who got one says, I went and buried it because I was afraid of you. Bad things happen to him. He winds up in that lake that we talked about that none of us want to end up in. It's what happens. He buries his talents. God at some point is going to ask us, and it's not going to be the way your boss does. Did you meet your quota? Did you make your numbers? It's not going to have that edge to it. I think of it more if you've ever... Um, you ever given somebody a gift that you thought, man, they're going to love this? And then you ask them later, hey, what did you do with it? How did you like it? You're not, you're not checking up on them because you want to see. You're checking up on them because you care, because you're excited. You want to, what did they do with this? I thought this would be perfect for you, and I want to know what you did with it. I think that's where God is going to be coming from with us. It's this idea of saying, I gave you these great, th- what did you do with what I gave you? A, a, a place of excitement and interest. What did you do with the time that I gave you? What did you do with the money? What did you do with your intellect? What would you do with your resources? What would you do with your opportunities? What would you do with your relationships? What about the strengths? What about the gifts? How did you use those things? And we want to be able to say to him, this is what I did. It doesn't have to be anything that ever gets in the newspaper. It doesn't have to be anything anybody else ever notices. He will, and his grading system is different from ours. He just, what did you do with what he's given to you? That's the first question. Second thing, these people who harden their hearts. I was saying we don't want to be those people, so there's, there's two groups. I think there's probably a, maybe just a handful, two, three of you in the room who would say, you know what, Jesus, I'm not there with him yet. I'm not willing to say yes, and I would say that's okay. My encouragement to you is, are you willing to be willing to say yes? If you can't, if you don't recognize your need today, you'd say, you know, I actually feel like I'm good. I'm a pretty good person. I don't feel like I've done anything that awful. If there is some debt, I can pay it. I don't get the whole died for my sins, if that's kind of where you are, I would say, would you be willing to pray, God, but if I do need a Savior, then I pray you'd show me that. If I do need to, I don't think I need to be forgiven, but if I do, God, then I'm willing for you to show me that I need to be forgiven. I actually feel okay in my relationships, but if I do need peace, well, would you, then you can show me that I'm willing for you to show me that I need peace, or I'm willing for you to show me that I need direction, or I'm willing for you to show me that I need to repent in certain areas. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? It's a willingness for God to show you something. You might not be willing to say, yeah, I know that I'm in need today. But are you willing to be shown that if it is, in fact, the case? Could you pray that prayer this morning? If you're, if you're far from Jesus, could you at least pray the prayer, God, if Jesus is important, if, if I need him, if there's something about being in a relationship with him that's important for me, then I pray you'd show me. And I'm willing for you 
to show me that. That's, that's crack, it's just cracking the door like that. But that's all he needs. He just needs a crack. If you got the door shut, he's not going to kick it over. But you give him a crack and he'll come in. I encourage you to pray that this morning. For some of you, it's not a whole life issue. It's a particular area of your life issue. There's one place where you've hardened your heart. God, this, this, if, your room's a, if your heart's a house, you've got a, a closet and you've locked it and you said you're not getting in here either because of pain or because of pride or for whatever reason, at some point along the way, you kind of made this vow. I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need God in this area of my life. And what you've done in that part is you've hardened your heart, you've cut yourself off from the grace of God, which means you're left on your own at that point. Rather than taking the posture of a little child and saying, I need help in this area, you've said, I'm going to do it on my own. And you've cut yourself off from the grace of God. And so what he's going to do is he's going to withdraw himself from that area, and you really are going to be on your own. And it's not going to be good for you. And so for you this morning, if that's you, if there's an area of your life, if there's a relationship, maybe something from your past, and you just kind of sealed that off, you've hardened your heart in that area. I'm not revisiting that relationship. I'm not going to forgive that person. I don't have to, I'm not going to see that. It's, it's, gone. it's done. I don't see them anymore. They're dead for whatever. I'm, just, I'm not forgiving them. Or I'm not going to revisit this issue, whatever that is. You're hardening your heart, and my encouragement to you would be to not do that, to give God an opportunity to speak into that area, to open that door and see what he does. Last, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And my question to you is, is that you this morning? Do you feel weary and burdened? When I think of Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, what I want to say is, actually, it's not at all. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Calling someone a fool is the same as killing them. Be perfect. Love me more than you love your family. Deny yourself and take up your... Like, what about that is easy and light? To me, nothing about that is easy and light. That's difficult for me to, to think about doing those things on a daily basis. This is Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is art. This is nice. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. You can find thousands of people who will tell you what to do in any area of life. I know of one guy who will tell you what to do and then give you the power to do it. And it's Jesus. He's the only one who can then empower you to do the things that he's instructing you to do. He says, pray for those who persecute you, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit to enable you to pray for those who persecute you. He says, love your enemies, and then he gives you his Spirit who will help you love your enemies. He says, deny yourself daily and take up your cross, and then he gives you his Spirit who will help you deny yourself daily and take up your cross. For many of us, we try to obey Jesus, follow Jesus listen to these instructions in our own flesh, in our own strength, in our own willpower, with our own good intentions. And we get really tired and we're wearied and we're burdened. And what Jesus says is, that's not, that's not the way I set this thing up. I'm telling you what to do and I'm giving you the resources to do it. So use my resources. What that looks like practically. Every time you, every, if you pray every day or every other day, whatever your prayer rhythm is, you need to ask God to fill you with his spirit every time. If your heart is a container and his spirit is the water, you need to ask him to fill it up 
every single time you pray. If that's, again, daily or every other day or whatever you've got. That's you saying, I need your resources to live this life because I can't do it on my own. I can't love my enemies on my own. I can't forgive him again on my own. I can't figure the way through this fog on my own. I can't love you and prioritize you more than I love my wife and my children on my own. I need your help to do all of those things. I can't love my wife like you said to love her on my own. I can't raise my children the way you said to raise them on my own. It's a recognition that I can't do any of that stuff that you've told me to do on my own. So you're going to have to come and you're going to have to give me the resources or we're not going to go very far. It's a daily prayer. You may have some warm and fuzzy feelings when you pray that prayer. You may not. I don't care. What I care about is the reality of Jesus, fill me with your spirit every time you pray. And he will. And you'll find yourself living out of his resources instead of your own. We were at the beach this week, and I get bored, and I was bored. And the house that we stayed in, they had, it's either called a sea kayak or an ocean kayak. Or, so anyway, I got it, and I went out. I'd never done it before, but figured, you know, how hard can it be? And so <laughs> we go, and I'm, I figure coming home, I'm going to be tired. So going out, I go against the tide. And there's a house that's a mile down, and I'm going to go a mile. And so I go a mile down, and then I come a mile back. And there were some friends of ours who were staying at another house. And we get, I got out, and the guy says, um, what did you see? And I said, man, I didn't see anything because I spent the whole time with my head down paddling like a madman against the tide. Awful. I don't know why anybody does it for fun. <laughs> Every time I read, like it wasn't, rest, put the paddle in my lap, and I drifted backwards. It was just don't paddle at breakneck speed, and I drifted backwards. I had to go as hard as I there were. I promise you this. There was about a seven or eight minute stretch where I was paddling as hard as I could, and I wasn't moving. I could see the house, and I was wondering, what are people on the shore thinking of me? <laughs> like, am I doing something wrong? It was awful. There was nothing enjoyable about it. Coming back, half the work, twice as fast. Easy. I could rest and I still moved in the direction that I wanted to go. That's life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. You can get there in your flesh to some degree. You're going to have to work like a dog and every time you take a break, you're going to lose progress. You're not going to see anything along the way. It's not going to be enjoyable. And when you get to the finish line, if you get to the finish line, you're going to want somebody to take you out back and shoot you because you're so tired. In the spirit, you can rest and you still make progress. That's, how about that? You cannot do anything and still make progress in the kingdom because the Holy Spirit's working in you and he's working through you. And he doesn't just double your effort. It's a multiplicative effect. Half the effort, twice the results. That's what it looks like when you're praying, God, fill me with your spirit today. I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your resources to do the things that you put in front of me. It's a completely different way to live, and it's available to all of us. Let's pray. So we've got three groups, or three categories, I guess. Maybe one of these resonates with you. Let's pray for each one. God, we do want to pray for those first. God, if there are men and women in this room who are distant from you this morning, 
God, I pray that they would hear you saying to them, come home, come home in a way that they would understand, not nothing with me. You would speak directly to their hearts and they would hear you offering them life. God, if there are people in this room who would say, I don't really need it, I'm good. Lord, I pray there would at least be a willingness in their hearts to say, but if I do need it, if I do need the lifeline, if I do need to be rescued, then show me. God, I pray for men and women in this room who've closed areas of their hearts off to you for whatever reason. God, I pray in these next few moments they would make a choice to unlock those doors, to take the posture of a child and say, I need help in this area. God, I pray that we would all have a recognition of what you've given to us and that when we die and we stand before you and, and you say, what did you do? We can say this, and you would say, well done, excellent work. I'm so proud of you. God, I pray for people who would say, I haven't been given much. I'm a one-talent person. God, I pray they'd maximize, use it to its fullest, and then you give them more. God, that we wouldn't compare ourselves, we wouldn't live life based on what we don't have, what you haven't given to us. But we would look for ways to glorify you and bless other people with what you have given to us. And God, I pray for the people in this room who are weary and burdened. God, I pray particularly for moms who feel that way right now. God, I pray that they would say, I can't do this on my own. And they would ask you to fill them with your spirit to raise their kids and to run carpool and to manage the calendar and to balance the budget and to fix dinner and all of those things. God, I pray for every man and woman in this room who's weary and burdened today. God, that they would, we would all take your yoke upon us and not just take your yoke upon us, God, but we would be filled with your spirit, that you would give us the internal resources that we need to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with one song. We'll have ministry teams here up in the corners. We'll pray with you. Anything that you've got going on, if one of those few things kind of hits you, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you about that. Um, so you guys can stand, uh, come forward if you will, and then Bo will dismiss us when we're done. Thanks. Great and glorious, mighty God, rich in mercy, consumed with love. He's a man you and the Lord above. I want to be with you, God. I want to be with you, God. I will worship you, Lord, all my days. I'll come in close to seek your face. Lord, I long for your sweet embrace. 
I want to be with you, God. I want to be with you, God. And you say that your love will last forever. And you say in you I find pleasure. And you say that you will never leave or forsake me. And you say that your love will last forever. And you say in you I find pleasure. And you say that you will never leave or forsake me and i will worship you lord all my days i'll come in close to seek your face and lord i long for your sweet embrace I want to be with you, God. I want to be with you, God. And you say that your love will last forever. And you say in you I find pleasure. And you say that you will never leave or forsake me. And your love is faithful, your love is kind, your love is glorious, love so divine, Lord, your love is all that I need to survive and you say that your love will last forever and you say in you I find pleasure and you say that you will never leave or forsake me. I'm free to go when you're ready. Have a great week. all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough
Yeah. 